0: Thanks everybody. This is the positives and negatives of technology today. And this is relates to our mental health. It might also relate to physical health. So we'll see where the conversation goes as our panelists have a variety of insights and perspectives to share. I'll be moderating this session. My name is Ross Romano. I'm a leadership development performance coach, marketing communications consultant. I have a company called September Strategies and I'm also co-founder of the B Podcast Networks. So our network is really pleased to be partnering with Beluga and Same Here Global this year. We'll be sharing this session and all the sessions this month as podcasts. They're on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can actually go to samehere.transistor.fm to find it wherever you like to listen. But please do check this one out. Check out all the sessions all month. There's a lot of great discussions. Uh, As I said, this is the positives and negatives of technology on our mental health. And I, you know, the way I'm looking at this is there's a lot of concerns around access control and moderation when we look at both, right? The positives, there's access to learn more, do more, connect more. These are wonderful things. There's access directly to healthcare and mental health care, to family and friends. You know, technology enables a whole lot of things, productivity and more, but also, you know, how much can we control or do we feel we can control? When we can't, we veer into those negatives we have access to what we want, but also things that we might not want to have access to us do. There's overload, pressure, anxiety, burnout. And so we need to really talk about how do we prioritize the good, mitigate the bad and really get the positives out of technology. So with that, I want to welcome in our panelists today and we'll go to each of them. Then what I'll ask each of you to do is please do introduce yourselves, tell our listeners who you are. And tell us what draws you to this conversation we're having today. So why don't we start with Mary Alice?
1: Hi, Ross. I'm so happy. This is my very first Twitter space conversation as, as a panelist. I got, I've joined in this month as a listener. I, I'm really, this is the best thing I I tweeted about it today. The best thing that ever happened to me during the pandemic was Evan Schwartz invited me to be on a panel for that very first year where they hosted the same here month. And I happened to be on the panel with, with Eric Kuzin. And that has been a game changer for me personally and professionally. So I'm from, I, I wanted to start with that because it really, I feel like sets the foundation about my why I'm excited to be here today because it started in 2020 and I will be a massive fan going forward as well. But I'm really lucky because my colleague, Juania Tazmez, is joining in today as well from Mexico. And we really run, we, we consider ourselves community architects. We get to work with school communities around the world, really creating time and space for young people to use technology for good and invite an outside community to come and learn with the students. So it's a very intergenerational approach. And we You know, Use Tech for Good is under that umbrella for digital citizenship and our balance since 2020, when we first met Same Here, they're our balance partner about digital wellness. And we've gone to conferences and we've promoted Same Here. And so I feel like that probably that probably is great for my introduction and just who I am and why I'm really connected to this topic and everything that Beluga and Same Here, if they say jump, I'm going to say how high. (laughs)
0: Wonderful. So thank you, Mary Alice Uenia. Welcome to the conversation.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Rose. I'm super happy to be here. I'm super excited. I've been working with Mary Alice since, I don't know, maybe 2016. And it's also my third year. I am really fortunate to be, for the third time, to be part of the same year, Mental Awareness Month. I'm sorry, my English is like betraying me a little bit. But anyways, I'm in in the Digital Citizenship Institute alongside Mary Alice. I also, I'm a consultant and speaker and social media community manager. I'm a trans, translator as well from English to Spanish. And I've been organizing summits in Mexico and across Latin America. I love this conversation and be part of this because I truly feel like we need these conversations in our everyday lives. It's like same here says it's. 5 in 5 it's not only one two or three it's 5 in 5 and including this type of contents of conversations in our families in schools with our friends it's like bringing this conversation to become our new normal right because it's it's like part of our everyday life and i'm super committed with the same here, with same here also i i've been also translating the the app itself and many things to bring this conversation to Spanish speaking communities as well. I really think that this message is really, really important and can make a difference in everyday life.
0: Wonderful. Thanks, Eugenia. And we also have Christine.
3: Hi, everybody. I am Christine Ravesi weinstein I'd like to thank everybody for having me. This too was also my first go at being a speaker on this platform. So... The reason that, you know, I'm here and this is important to me is because I'm living this. I am not just an educator. I'm not just an administrator at a school, you know, working with students who are struggling with mental illness. I am someone struggling with mental illness. This conversation is my every single day. And so what I bring to the table is not just a resume that speaks to my professional accomplishments. I bring a human being to the table that is not afraid to share personal experience, is not afraid to be authentic and talk about the difficulties that the digital world presents for those of us who are suffering with mental illness. I think it's really easy For us to have conversations where we say, oh, it's Mental Health Awareness Month. And of course, SEL matters. But I also don't think that enough of us are authentic to take the risk to actually be practitioners. And as a result of my struggles, I'm not just a practitioner every single day with my students. I'm a practitioner every single day with myself in trying to get out of bed. And trying to navigate a digital world that, while at the same time I need, because everything is digital, is also something that exacerbates my depression and my anxiety. So that's why I'm here. In terms of what I do and reaching out to me, you can just search for me here on Twitter and go to my website at rubesiweinstein.com and find out more about what I do outside of my day-to-day as a school administrator.
0: Great. Thanks, Christine. Really appreciate all of you being here. So we're going to kick off the conversation here and I'll try to do my best as the moderator to kind of call on everybody. But please feel free, you know, chime in uh, anytime you have thoughts. There's a hand raise tool you can use if you want to make sure you chime in. I, I have no idea how to use it. So don't worry about it if you don't know how. Just feel free to speak up and we'll make sure everybody gets A lot of involvement here in the conversation. So I wanted to start by framing from each of your perspectives, what technologies you really have in mind as we start to engage in this conversation, right? Obviously we're on a social media platform right now, and there was a separate conversation last week, specifically related to social media and its effect on mental health. But, you know, that can be part of our conversation here too, but there's so many other technologies, so many other things that each of us may be thinking of that. I think that'll provide really useful context as we start to go deeper and deeper into this and we start to talk about these positives and negatives. So why don't we go in reverse order with this one? We'll start with Christine and then, you know, everybody just share what you're thinking about, what comes to mind for you and, and what you'd most like to kind of focus on.
3: Well, I I think, you know, obviously, social media is probably the technology that we engage with the most. So that's the one that comes to mind the most. But what I will say about all technology in general is it's all a distraction. And so I know that for me, whether I'm engaging in Twitter or Facebook or whether I'm on the computer, you know, even just answering email or, you know, making a vlog, whatever the case may be, it's all a distraction from the reality around me. Right. And so that can be a benefit. Right. Because when I'm sort of struggling with a bout of anxiety or depression, it can get me out of the headspace. But if the reason it's it's not effective is because it's like, you know, when people say, oh, I just need a vacation. Right. And I want to get away. And then there's that old caveat. Well, your problems are just waiting for you when you get back. That's exactly what happens when it comes to technology. It's a great distraction. And it will remove you from the present issues that you're dealing with. But as soon as you turn it off, all of your issues are still still there waiting for you. And so while distractions are good, they're no problem solvers. So in general, in order to make it different from the discussion about social media in particular, I think that's the issue with technology is that it's it's impossible to engage in technology 100 percent of the time in a manner in which is healthy. Now, on the flip side, right, I do all my therapy sessions, telehealth. So the fact that I have technology where I can sit on my bed and talk to my therapist and sob my eyes out and then I don't have to get in a car and drive home, that's fabulous. I love it. And that's not a distraction because I'm I'm in the throes of it. But in general, I would say technology is a, a distraction away from what we're struggling with. And then, you know, we're not dealing with the issues.
0: Excellent. Yeah. And I think Christine has perfectly framed the duality of the conversation. We talk about the positives and negatives where even that piece of it being a distraction. Sometimes there's such a thing as a welcome distraction. And other times there's the thing where, you know, we end up procrastinating or putting something aside and then our anxiety and stress levels increase. So it can go either way. And, and it's good that we're talking about it so we can really be mindful of that. Yeah. What comes to mind for you when you're we're thinking about the technologies in this conversation?
2: Oh, I think that it depends on the age of each individual, and for example, I have some nephews that all day are engaged with gaming, with video games, and I'm not saying that it's it's something bad, but it's the way that they shut up their mind and they go to distract and to be someplace else rather than being along with themselves or having a real conversation face-to-face. I also think about different games, for example, for little kids as Roblox, Minecraft, you name it, right? And those kinds of experiences, while little kids engage, in a in a younger age, what are we like as parents making them to make more distractions in their life as little as they are, how those kids are going to grow up facing the everyday challenges that we all have, right? so i think that it all depends i also have adolescents which are engaged every single day in social media i work in social media and uh, we just we, we just name it it's something really positive and also it comes like with the negatives alongside my parents for example they will go and stream movies or series all afternoon to be engaged with a television not having a real conversation between them or like distracting themselves from the everyday things that appear in life so i think that it depends mainly on the age and the social media or the technology that you feel more comfortable to use because for example i will not be engaging in video games because i don't feel like i'm an expert so i'll go definitely with social media younger kids or i don't know adolescents will have a more engaging experience with video games so they will go there i think that, pe- that it will depend on how much time do you spend there? How much positive feedback comes after you are using that kind of technology and the time that you are there? And that's why we are here like to talk about this, all the positives and negatives. But I think that definitely it depends on the age and the technology that you use more in, a, in every single day.
0: Great. Great. Awesome. Um, Mary Alice?
1: I'm so glad I get to go last because I, I totally agree with what Christine said and then what Hupeni has said. And, you know, this is, and if I were to add on, it's like f- for those technologies, who added in that gaming piece, but let's just think about, you know, immersive technologies. And I love that, you know, both really were, were focused in, I believe, on what like the essence for digital wellness. And so I didn't say this in my introduction, but early on, I'm like an early adopter really into the digital citizenship space. And not only was I doing this professionally, but I was doing this as a mom with my son when he was, you know, under 13 years old. And the focus, this was way before I got to 2020 in the pandemic and meeting same here. But what we would do is we would unplug. We'd go to like, well, I, I wish I could market for the MLB because I would market like here is an opportunity, probably the only opportunity where you can unplug and enjoy the slowness of time. But when he was little, we'd have games to the Red Sox, a little shout out, Evan, that's gonna hurt Evan's heart, I know, cause he's a Yankees fan, but um, we'd go to Fenway Park and I would purposely say, I was leaving my phone in the car, we were going device free. And we'd get there to the game and we'd try to engage, like with people sitting next to us. How did they use their devices? Some would say, you know, we get here early, we take our pictures and we put our phone away. Others would say, oh, I use my device for, you know, scoring. Others would be like catching Pokemon at the time when my son was younger in Fenway Park. But no matter what, we were engaged in this conversation talking about how our devices are, you know, kind of weighing us down in the fact that it's what we use for our alarm clock. It's it's our, and I would always say on that note, who here uses their phone as an alarm clock, go back and get that old fashioned, you know, alarm clock, because we want you to say good morning and good night to a human being or a furry friend at home, an animal, right? A pet, a beloved pet. But it's our camera. It's like we are doing, Christine talked about that she gets to have her therapy sessions. I mean, we are doing everything on our device and on social media. And here is an opportunity to really bring in that conversation that I feel like Lenny has said really about intergenerational. You know, she went from her young nephews all the way to her parents. No matter how young and old you are, how can we be more mindful about taking those opportunities to unplug and be in the moment and be present? And then when we are plugged in, how can we be, you know, content creators, not just consumers?
0: yeah i think you're starting on a really valuable thread there mary alice around where are there opportunities to strategically roll back the expectation that technological advancement has placed on us right and you know one of the things i think about with respect to it is how the acceleration of technology creates pressure on us just because certain technologies exist and then The expectation becomes that we have to use them. We're speaking on Twitter right now. So it won't be a surprise to most people, right? Productivity content is is so popular here where it's, if you're not using this AI tool and this, you know, project management tool and this, this, and this, you're just, you're not getting anything done. This is a really dumb, you know, personal example that I thought about once upon a time when I was kind of starting my career working in PR. And you'd have to do a simple task like write and distribute a press release, which now is all done online and via email and da da da. And it's like, you know, the first hour of your day, and then you're on to the next thing and the next thing. And I thought, Hmm, I feel like 20 years ago, this was this was the only thing that day because you had to fax it or mail it or do it. And maybe that wasn't so bad because there was a lot less pressure on. Okay, I have to do this and this and this and this and this and. This. and it's a balance right because the technology in this case enables us to achieve a lot of things and to get things done and to have more access to to what we need to do but also at the same time once we lose that perspective on okay you know the cliche being we're letting the technology control us right rather than that we're using it for our means those anxieties pressures stresses all build up and That can be really challenging. Do any of you have any thoughts regarding, right, that pressure that we feel as a result of technology and where we have those opportunities to look at it, to think about it, reflect, and to say, hmm, you know, maybe we could undo this a little bit. Maybe we could do this a little differently.
3: Yeah. So if I could jump in, you know, a sort of a personal story. You know, it's become such an expectation in 2023, that you are going to be fully engaged in technology and, you know, present yourself in such a way. Uh, you know, I, I recently had an issue where I chose myself over technology. You know, I've, I've been going through quite a struggle recently. And, you know, while I'm not someone that like blasts <laughs> my, my, you know, personal struggles out to the world, I'm I'm learning that it's okay to prioritize myself when I need to. And technology can be very overwhelming for me. And so recently I was part of, you know, without being asked, I was put into like one of these like large, like Twitter spaces, like Twitter chats that have tons of people in them, you know, and it's one of these things where like, for me, just so people can understand my position, you know, there's like two types of people in this world. There's people that have like, Zero unread email in messages because every time that like little red bubble banner dot thing pops up, they're like, "Oh my god, I got to take care of this." And then there's the kind of person that like they have twenty five hundred unanswered messages and like it doesn't bother them. So because of my anxiety, I'm one of the I'm one of the former, right? And so it it stresses me out to know that there might be something that I I've not attended to, and so being a part of this. This chat, while I can mute it so that I'm not like hearing the ding of a notification or whatever, every time I sign on, there's, you know, 25 unopened messages. And so it was making my mental health worse because I couldn't keep up with it. It was overwhelming to me. And so I removed myself. And unfortunately, it it publicly showed that I removed myself. And I was taken to task because I did that and you know i've i've lost friendships over that and i've struggled with it because it's hard to live in a world where you know what you need and people judge you for taking time out of the technology world but that's the place we've come to and that's not okay you know it doesn't work for everyone and we need to be okay with that like i i applaud people that i see on social media Say something like, I'm taking a break. I'll be back whenever. Right. And people say all the right things, but like behind the scenes, that's not necessarily what's happening. And, you know, I share this story not to criticize the people that criticize me, but to allow people to see that just because something works for you doesn't mean it works for somebody else. And if someone is taking a risk to, do something for themselves, it's not for you to question their decision.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it relates to write anything as simple as text messaging, right? <laughs> it, like, you know, so easy to, to correspond nowadays, but sometimes it's like, okay, I see this message and in real time, you know, maybe it would take me 10 or 15 seconds to reply, but also there's some mental you know, bandwidth that I need to dedicate to that. And I'm busy on other things and I just need to, I'll come back to it later. And that's just the way it's going to be and mm-hmm. very micro boundary, but just those little things. yohania, I think you had something to add.
2: Yeah, as Christine was saying, yeah, for me also having or being around technology, sometimes it's like adding more pressure to my everyday life. And, but I was thinking of, of something else we've seen like the evolution of technology right we've seen like since there were no cell phones until today we're dealing with ai etc a lot of things that we already know but i was thinking about the younger generations they are born with this amount of technology they are born around social media video games ai etc so I don't know, and it will be truly interesting to see how this acceleration of technology creates more pressure on them also. And we've been on this like road or journey for some years, right? And now we are able to see, okay, this is not good for me, or I will take time off, or I won't even say that I will take time off, I'll just do it. But because we now as adults know that this Acceleration of technology is doing like not so good results on our lives. But the important thing here is like how we are going to teach the younger generations to do that also. And to say that it's okay if you're not going to be all day long around social media. That it's okay to unplug. That it's okay to take a break from your digital life. That it's okay to be with family without devices, that it's okay to take a look around and see nature and enjoy other things that doesn't include technology. That's why I think that this kind of conversations and discussions are like a must that should be included in our everyday lives with our families and our with our youngsters, because sometimes they don't even notice why they don't feel that good in every single day and they are Plug, they are plugged in all day long in different devices at school. They are playing behind the screen. Everything around them is technology. But they are not aware that these kind of practices can come into negative results for them. I was, I'm a, Mary Alice, before you add on, this
3: just made me think I was up late the other night watching Pretty Woman. <laughs> Probably like, what does this have to do with it? But there was this scene if you've seen it, you might remember where Richard Deere's character takes a, is convinced to take a day off. And as part of his day off, Julia Roberts makes him take his shoes and socks off and put his like bare feet on the grass. And he's still on the phone like working. And then later in the movie, he's out by himself and he forces himself to take his shoes and socks off. And he's like in his suit, like walking on the grass to like re-sort of center himself. And it just makes me laugh because you're a hundred percent right. Like, if if we saw that happening today, we'd be like, look at this crazy person, right? But like, there's something real about taking a moment to ground yourself and not looking at a screen, not being in front of a computer. And it's crazy that we're in a world now where like doing that, you'd seem crazy. Whereas if you sit in front of a computer screen all day and don't get outside, you're, you're not crazy. Like, how did we get here?
0: Right. And there's like, there's this tension right between, perhaps what we feel like is a, a, an obligation to be a, an engaged citizen, right? With, with the news and current events and what's happening and all the, but yet it's just so constant and overwhelming and such bombardment that you can quickly find yourself doom scrolling and, and not even realize that you're doing it or, you know, not having an escape hatch to pull out of that. And. And all of it requires balance. I wouldn't really necessarily advocate for just going in completely in the direction of opting out of being a part of, of society necessarily, but at the same time, like, you know, again, it's about, are we in control or do we, are we choosing the way that we're engaging the parameters we're setting and being mindful and being aware. So that we're making decisions to say, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. This is what works for me versus just kind of getting sucked up into that vacuum and then realizing, oh my goodness, I, I haven't even, I've like, just completely lost my place.
3: So maybe if we go outside in our bare feet on the grass and stand there and then scroll through social media or check email, that could be a good <laughs> good balance.
0: That could work, yeah. <laughs> Mary Alice, you, so you kind of kicked off this thread that we've been on and, you know, and I think a great point that you had made and kind of the illustration of going to the the baseball game and th- is that it's doing things together with real people in the flesh too, that often, you know, a, a great thing about technology is that it can connect us with people that we don't have proximity to and we don't have access to, but then at the same time, we might be sitting in opposite rooms in the house texting each other instead of talking right
1: you know i exactly and i want you to know i have to just jump in and say that i have utilized the do not disturb option i feel like i have it on all the time so like when you think about what Christine was talking about it like you need to put yourself first my nana would always talk about it. if you're not nice to yourself who's gonna be Shoot off. Oh, that was like exactly what she would say And in this context, I have Do Not Disturb on all the time. And I want it to be my choice when I'm going to see whether they're unread emails or a zillion text messages or what have you. Because if not, I feel like a little bit out of control. And the work that I've just been in, I'm always trying to look at the positive. I am a glass, like definitely not just half full, but it's overflowing, right? I try to talk about things that we should avoid, but I'm really focused on what we should encourage. And I know that while we were preparing for this, I shared that I wanted to talk about, and I feel like Kuhenia talked about like how we help our young people, like know to be able to practice this, to put it into action, is that in the fall of 2011, I was a college professor and I I designed and created a course for incoming college freshmen. It was a first year seminar. And that focus is really on service learning, getting introduced to college, building a community. And so, the, you know, the professor, you can teach whatever you want. I created this course called Please to Tweet You. Are you a socially responsible digital citizen? And I thought, no matter what, when these incoming freshmen, whatever their majors are going to be, gosh, this will be a great foundation for them. But over the summer, before the class started, I thought, I wish I could give them an authentic audience. So I blogged about it. I put it out there in the world. I tweeted the blog post. I said, does anybody want to join my college freshman? And to make a long story short, a second year teacher that I had never met before in Birmingham, Alabama, and I am in Connecticut. So second year teacher, high school teacher said my high school juniors in Birmingham, Alabama would love to join you. And so that's what happened. We did this project, and I thought originally they might come up with a student, you know, solution towards cyberbullying because that was really big back in 2011. But I took a back seat, and the second year teacher Beth Sanders, who's also a, a big fan of Beluga, she took a back seat, and we let the students drive. And so to kind of tie this together, the importance of project-based learning, so our our young people can put this into practice. That project that they that they created ended up, they coined it, the iCitizen project. And the focus where we never, geography was an issue. We were obviously, we're in Connecticut, they're in Alabama. We had to use social media to connect and collaborate. But my definition for digital citizenship is a direct result of the iCitizen project because these young people, the college freshmen and the high school juniors, They really believed that in the 21st century, we need to learn, we need to practice how to see the human sitting next to us. Because if you can't see the human sitting next to you, you're never going to be able to apply it with people around the world that might look different, speak different languages, practice different religions, or cultures, or traditions. And if you can't do that, you're never going to be able to apply it to the human across the screen. So it's a real focus on this local, global, and digital. And that project has launched me into some incredible, incredible opportunities, learning opportunities with school communities around the world, where we're community architects. We're creating these opportunities for these young people. And just this past April, we hosted a celebration, a Use Tech for Good celebration. I know who Henia can speak about it. It was in different languages. We were celebrating how to use tech for good. And the majority of our projects had nothing to do with technology. The part that like was focused on tech was this willingness to be a connected classroom where you break down your classroom walls and you invite the outside world to come and learn with you. So I am a huge advocate of that type of connected learning for balance, right? For for digital wellness, to help improve mental health, to have that empathy, that SEL piece that Christine spoke about. So- those are my I'm sorry I probably went on a little bit too long but I'm passionate about this.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, would you like to add more to to that?
2: Sure. For sure. Because it was a different, entirely amazing month. And it was supposed to be I th- I think that the best things in life comes like when you never expect it, right? And it's it's this is the story because we were organizing only half a day in-person event with showcasing student projects but for some weird reasons realis and i just said okay this is not working it's for it was far away from me from home a lot of extra expenses and things wouldn't like there they were not like getting in the right direction so we said okay let's Change a little bit this perspective and do it like a whole month event and invite people from other communities and from other parts of the world and work around also their time zones because we all we only think about our time zones and that everything moves around that. But if we wanna hear other perspectives and if we wanna hear other students from other parts of the world and what the things that they are doing to make to you about using check for good. We did it to make this change, right? So we did it. And we opened up the invitation and we had like more than 30 sessions throughout the month, including some weekends even. And it was voices from teachers, from students, from little kids, from toddlers, from more than 10 countries. And it was something different every single day about how they use Tech for Good. It was something totally different that we didn't expect it and also gave us a truly different perspective on how other people live their everyday lives. Like, okay, we are together right now using our Wi-Fi, maybe in our homes, truly good, right? But we have some sessions that this wasn't the case. Some sessions were canceled because of government policies around using Wi-Fi. Other sessions were canceled because they had to literally walk to another country to save their lives because their country was in war. So, how to get a better perspective about what's going on in other parts of the world and see what they are struggling with, that it's not the same as what we struggle in our daily lives, but to have this kind of experiences and This is something really, I'll bring back like the positives and negatives. This is something really positive that tech did for us last month. We were totally engaged with other people's needs that we couldn't even imagine if we just stay the same as always, right? So that was our month. That was our global student showcase. And we had a great opportunity to meet new people, to connect with new people, and also to hear their voices.
0: Absolutely. And so Christine on this, you know, point about the positives technology and the, and the things we want to encourage, you know, what, what comes to mind from your perspective? And I mean, it could be, I mean, for any demographic, right? It might be what we want to encourage in our kids and students or in ourselves to say, Hey, here, you know, here are some positive opportunities. Here are some uses of technology that are really beneficial. And here's what that looks like.
3: Well, you know, one of the really good things for, you know, mental health is being creative and creative outlets. And I know for me personally, you know, I use technology as a creative outlet. So I really enjoy vlogging, and I, I really like the creative aspect that's involved with it. I like it because I'm, I can write. And then I like being able to use iMovie to edit. I also sometimes will just make a random video. And then I had this thing back and forth with a friend of mine for a while where I would just make a random video and send it to him. And then the two of us would have like a challenge where we would try to make a video based on that. That was like really funny. And, you know, they would be like maybe 20 second videos. And just the ability to be creative was really a good use of my time and my mind and so it can be exciting as well when you learn something new so i also as part of my work outside of my day job i also do sessions on how to bring something like vlogging into the classroom because school still seems so archaic where it's like okay we do arithmetic we do writing we do reading right and as much technology that is out there that can help facilitate those pieces of the curriculum that we deliver, we still aren't getting quite as creative enough. And something like a vlog can be overwhelming to people because you're like, oh, my God, what does that entail? I'm not a YouTuber, right? Like, it doesn't have to be that. And, you know, that's a way that I use very basic and simple technologies to, you know, support my own mental wellness and also try to help educate teachers about so that they can help students find very creative technological outlets as well.
0: Is there, I mean, perhaps an element of taking the time to encourage an appreciation of what we're able to do with technology that could have an effect on the way we might engage with it more positively. I mean, I'm thinking about, and probably most of us here, well, even, you know, beyond what we're doing right now on Twitter, but most of us here could probably think back a week, two weeks, a month and think about zoom calls. We've had where, where have those people been right in India and in South Africa and Europe and Washington state, Mexico, Canada, and Canada, right and then, then I mean, it's just part of our routine at a certain point where you're just going through and doing this and you don't really stop and think about, wow, this is pretty amazing. And it's, it's quite new (laughs) and it's, uh, you know, and it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to when we, again, when we are thoughtful and when we are choosing our approach to open our mind, open our, our borders have exposure to new people, learn about new things and vice versa, you know, which can also turn into the opposite side of it where, you know, the, the selectivity and, and the ways in which, you know, exposure without context creates those negative effects. But I wonder even if just taking time to think about, and then talk about those things, particularly when we're talking about younger generations who you know, don't have the same memories as we may about when some of these things didn't exist say, here's why this is so fascinating. Here's why this is so interesting, but here's also why we don't have to think about it as just the status quo state of being, because it hasn't always been here. It doesn't have to be here. And there's other ways of engaging with the world. You know, are, are those conversations that any of you have had with or with learners to to kind of contextualize and, and almost, you know, really pull out the positive, right. And the wonder in a lot of these things.
3: Well, it's funny you say that because, you know, I, I think that that perspective of like, look how far we've come and, you know, we can get on a Zoom call and it's still relatively new and we can talk to people from all over the world, I think has allowed for, you know, someone like myself to connect with other people that have shared experience and that I might have otherwise not. I mean, that's how I met Mary Alice and that's how, you know, I got to be connected with same here and Beluga, right? So like those are invaluable sort of experiences. I will say though, as you know, an, an anxious person and an introvert and a deep Flawed thinker, you, you know when you when you put it into such a huge perspective like that, it almost makes it more overwhelming, right? That like I am just one tiny person on this big huge planet. That like you know I can get online and talk to whomever, whenever, anywhere in the world, and so that can kind of like it's a double edged sword, right? It can kind of mess with your mental health too. Like holy crap, like the possibilities are endless you know and then that whole game of like what if kind of keeps going and it can get a little bit overwhelming so it's like allow yourself to be reminded of the good that's come from it but don't dive too deep into how remarkable it really is because it makes you feel so small yeah uh, Mary
0: Ellis, what do you think
1: you know, I love everything about making these connections online because it just, you know, whether you're able to see yourself or like let's just even bring this back to the, you know, back to mental health and that 5 5 and 5 that I'm not the only one sometimes, you know, technology can make you feel like very isolated, but then there are the beautiful parts where I'm not alone and I have this inner circle or I have the PLN or the PLF. I know Sarah Thomas coined that, you know, the PLF instead of that network, it's that F is for family. And I really love that because some of my closest, closest people in my life, I have met on Twitter, right? Like, and, and then had an opportunity to meet them in conferences. And those are some of my very strongest connections I've probably ever had in my life. So when we think about how do, you, how do you replicate that in the classroom, again, it goes back to like what we were kind of sharing about what we did for that Global Student Showcase. I mean, the tech that we're using could just be as simple as, you know, this willingness to break down your classroom walls and connect and collaborate in really meaningful ways around project-based learning. And even to like touch back to with Hujania when some of those, what we, what we showcased and celebrated last month, A lot of them had nothing to do with technology. One was a group of high school students in upstate New York, and they were really focused on CPR because of what happened with the Buffalo Bills and Damar Hamlin, and they took up his challenge. And so for their community, they wanted to go and learn CPR and they wanted to train others. So they were going and they were talking to their athletic department and their coaches, and not just the coaches, but they were making sure that the captains of the spring teams all knew how to perform CPR. And when you think of something as simple as that, that is like making an impact no matter what, right? That's making a positive impact in their community, but because they were willing, right? And they broke down those classroom walls and they allowed us to use technology for good. And we amplified, you know, their project globally That's the part that I feel like if that's all that we do and if we were mindful about using technology that way, we could really have our young people identify real problems, solve them, and then use tech to inspire and empower others to do something in a really, really positive way.
0: Yeah, yeah, positive. I think, you know, that focus on possibility. Right. Because part of it is. You know, everything has potentially unintended outcomes, unintended consequences. If we go too far in one direction, then what comes with that? And what do we have to guard against? But certainly that, you know, if we think about it in terms of possibility, what's possible, what are things we could do, what might be available to us and not get, you know, not think of it in terms of what we have to do, what we need to do. you know th- that things have to be done a certain way. Easier said than done, but you know a way of introduce of again like allowing us as individuals to kind of be selective and choose our pathways and not think that it has to be one thing or another. Of course, a big thing with respect to technology that has had positives and negatives and undetermined over the past a uh, few years here relates to remote and hybrid work and. The possibilities it opened up certainly during the depth of the pandemic, the possibilities it still has opened up for a lot of people who have continued to be able to pursue careers and opportunities regardless of geography, but also the pressures that people have felt maybe that they have to do that if that's not what they want to do, you know, that, that it's, it's a matter of the opportunities that might be available. Henny, do you have more to add on this point around, you know, some of these opportunities we want to encourage, but also, you know, the, the, the framing and the way we look at things and, you know, where those fine lines potentially are between what we're encouraging and and what we're also kind of looking out for.
2: Yeah, well, I, I will just only add a little bit because Christina and Maria, at least I think that said, said it all and I totally agree. And if it wasn't because of technology, I think that I couldn't be able to do what I do or to reach out the people that I reach out or to do what I'm doing in every single day. Without technology, I wouldn't be here, right? To start at some point, basically, without it, I've never been here. I never met any one of you. Amazing people uh, haven't had these amazing opportunities in which I work every single day. I think that about setting the boundaries, it's something that to complete a little bit about everything, about what I said before with younger generations, we need to start with ourselves. If, for example, we're using social media, okay, what's in our feed? How much time I'm going to... spend on social media every day to be aware of what I'm consuming, how much time I'm I'm into technology has helped me. I'm not saying that it's for everyone, but I think that if we pass the voice to younger generations about this can make a difference also in their lives. We've been through a pandemic where we were almost connected 24/7. And it didn't was the right thing for everyone or the most positive things for everyone. So we got the experience. Now, okay, as individuals, what what helps us to be like more with ourselves? What practices? How much time? What other ingredients can we add to our lives? As Christine was saying, okay, let's go and put ourselves in, with our bare feet on the grass or play something different, setting up those or adding those extra ingredients and setting up boundaries about timing and what we are consuming and also adding the extra layer that Mary Aldis was saying about being creators and making a positive impact. I think that's pretty much the right formula that might work for most of us that use technology.
0: Right. And you know, one thing that I, I did want to touch on briefly uh, is, you know, in May, 2023, I almost feel like it's impossible to have a conversation about technology with at least explicitly referencing AI right and the proliferation of AI based technologies. But I think they're, they're really a powerful illustration of so much of what we're talking about, like theoretically that strategic, thoughtful use of these technologies can support many of the strains on mental health by saving time on tedious tasks, improving accuracy and productivity and allowing us to, you know, automate things and do things a little differently in a way that removes a a lot of processes that might've been traditionally burdensome. But at the same time, like the very existence of these technologies and the understanding of that there is so much uncertainty and lack of clarity around their continued evolution causes a you know existential crisis right there's mental strain wondering about what disruptions they'll cause in the workforce in our lives in you know just how anything's going to to go from here how have how have any of you engaged with or you know grappled with the thinking around those tools yet they're all you know they're almost the version of so much of what we talked about on steroids so to speak as far as the pressure that we might be feeling that you know we have to be an early adopter we have to use it if we don't you're going to get left behind and yet you know that so many of them in my estimation in my observation are solutions without a problem so far and uh, you know why why is it incumbent upon us to create the problems. But, you know, I'm sure all of you have your own thoughts on that topic.
1: Okay. I I'll, I'll jump in. I want to give a shout out to Heather Brantley. She's joined us in some of our, in fact, most recently we put on a, a Digsit Academy at FET's annual conference in New Orleans and her focus, she is a middle school teacher and Her focus on AI, and I love the hashtag, is guide them, don't block them, right? Like, and that idea, it's the same thing that it's that intergenerational approach, that idea of learning side by side, having an entire community working together, learning together. I mean, we're all learners and before anything else, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about being educators is that we say, you know, learning is a lifelong, you know, journey and here is an opportunity to model that you don't have to be an expert you just have to have a willingness and a disposition to say i'm willing i'm excited to learn alongside you whether that's going to be you know your students or your colleagues and so that would be my take on ai there is i think there's no way that we can avoid ai and if we went with that looked out that lens about guide them not block them i feel like we could potentially do some really powerful things are young people solving real problems and creating solutions.
3: I, I think the question though is how does AI impact mental health, right? Isn't this, this is like a discussion about the impact technology has on mental health. I don't disagree about in general, the possibilities that AI presents for the evolution of technology. But if I can, I want to pull it back to the the discussion at hand, which is how can something like AI positively impact or negatively impact mental health? You know, I, I think that it can positively impact mental health because if you're somebody that's struggling with a starting point or struggling, feeling overwhelmed by the amount of things that you may or may not need to do, if we use it correctly, it can be a resource to help reduce that stress and give you a starting point. You know, that being said, I also fear that AI is going to allow people who need to push themselves to never push themselves. You know, I, I worry about that for our young people. I feel like as an adult and as someone that has been dealing with their mental illness for two decades now, diagnosed, I'm able to make the right decisions about when I need that additional support, and when I'm using it as a crutch. Our young people aren't going to be able to do that. And so us being able to guide them requires a lot of work on our part to understand where these mental illnesses sit when it comes to our students and technology and its impact on them. Because I worry that you're going to have students that are like, well, I'll just use AI. I don't have to do it, right? And then they'll never gonna leave the house. Whereas someone like myself, so I recently used AI as a support to write a paper for a class I'm taking. I hate to have to admit that, but it it worked really well in that it supported me getting my idea off the ground. And so I, I want us to be careful that we stick to sort of the topic at hand here, because this is going to become an even bigger obstacle
0: for mental health. And it, it could become the technological manifestation of the old, you know, defense mechanism. I wasn't really trying anyway, right? which then eventually evolves into you, you stop trying and you stop engaging and, and you know, and, and in cases where, okay, we have these technologies and uh, in the shorthand, because of the emphasis and pressure on results, uh, There are new ways where we're figuring out how to use them to cheat, you know, or to get around or to to gain results without really picking up the skills and applying them. And then, you know, that can spiral into, well, because we have no idea how these technologies are going to evolve and how they're going to disrupt the workforce and the economy and, and the skills of the future and all of that kind of thing, then Why should I even try to acquire skills because I have no certainty that my skills are going to be valuable in the future. So, you know, it's this kind of thing where, when we kind of lose the, I, I guess, confidence in seeing things through and understanding that learning and knowledge and skill development and being able to apply things in different ways are inherently valuable and will prepare us to be able to learn what we need to learn again in the future that we can really get wrapped up in a, you know, a a destructive and paralyzing, I guess, mental cycle there, right. When we're trying to conceive of all the, the, the big picture and the small picture all at once, (laughs) I think you sort of referred that a little bit earlier, Christine, around. You know, when we think about this stuff too much, then we start to feel like, okay, you know, now I, I, I don't know how I fit into all of this and it can be really challenging and, and, to me again, you know, I've engaged directly with some founders and creators of these technologies and come away thinking, you don't even know why you're doing this. Right? <laughs> like you're creating this because you know how to make the technology, but not because you know. What you want to do with it, or what anybody else would want to do with it, that can leave you feeling very disoriented, <laughs> to, to say the least, when you realize that you know, like these things are just taking off with limited guidance of all. On this point, and and we'll after this we'll wrap it up with with one final point. But henny is there anything you would like to add on on this point before we move along?
2: Yeah, just a little thing. I think that. At the end, how we how we put this character education or ethical guidance or ethical programming, or as we say on DCI, this how can we're gonna humanize in what's possible regarding to AI. I think that it's the most important part about technology evolving. It's like we. As humans, we are, okay, we're doing like these crazy stuff around AI, we're using it. Sometimes it might be like confusing or like scary even because we don't know that if somebody is watching us with a certain program or from certain parts of the world, et cetera. But this human part that we have, or as humans, I mean, it will never change. And it will never change the way that we put that focus or the way that we use that technology for good. I don't know if I'm explaining myself, it's kind of a little confusing to translate it from Spanish to English. But what I'm trying to say is that it's this human part, only humans can put it into AI again. Or only humans are the ones that are responsible to add it up to whatever technology will come from here and ever after.
0: Great. thank. And so everybody as we're kind of wrapping up the final question I wanted to put out there is around, you know, with all of this in mind and everything that we've discussed, if you would recommend any kind of certain parameters around technology use, not just, I mean, yes, individual, you know, we can each set our own parameters and, and how we want to engage or not engage, but would you recommend going further than that to say, we should try to, to put in some real guidelines for general use to, again, mitigate the negatives to really explore and, and benefit from the positives, but that do we, you know, know certain things that apply broadly enough to most people that there are decisions we should make around that.
3: If if I could jump in, because I, I have to, to jump off for a six o'clock engagement. So I just want to say thanks for having me. It's just been a, a good conversation and a lot of fun. You know, I'll finish with this. When it comes to parameters for technology, aside from, you know, balancing your screen time with things off screen, I think it's also really important for educators to understand that <clears throat> it's important to not just present new technologies to kids because it's the new popular thing and it's exciting to you as an educator to make use of it because it can be really, really overwhelming to kids to constantly be introduced to more resources and yet another platform and more resources. So what I would encourage is classroom educators to get really good at, at a small number of technological platforms in the classroom, get really good at them and introduce them to students so that they have time and opportunity to get really good and confident with them and they can make use of them to harbor their own creativity. And I think that you are going to see not only kids be successful, but I think you're gonna see a lot less anxiety surrounding the use of technology in the classroom. So that would be my advice.
0: Thanks, thanks Christine, and thanks for being here. Uhenia. I'll go to you next, and then we'll let Mary Alice close it out.
2: Okay, yeah, I think that what Christine just said, it's like super valuable. Valuable. And I think that this also sets up like the parameters, the parameters to use at home, because sometimes we as parents use or, or want to include as much technology around the house. And that also can be overwhelming or even talk to your kids to become aware of that, because sometimes I don't know you, but in my case, in my case, in my family, sometimes they are like using the phone, watching Netflix and have it use, and doing their homework at the same time. At the same place but so it's crazy right like being engaged all the time not checking in how do you feel how you are using technology how this technology is doing good for you or bad for you how do you feel when you use that kind of that amount of technology in such a small period of time like adding these conversations of okay which technology would you rather use right now? Which which technology will help you right now? Because sometimes, okay, I will use technology, but I will use it for listening to a meditation or to play a movie for the whole family to be together. So to have this parameter of if it's helping me, it's helping my family, it's helping the environment in which I'm in, I, I, I'm in I think that this can help us a lot. Well, in my personal experience, it has helped me.
0: Great. Okay, great. (laughs) Thank you. Mary Alice?
1: I love that Juhani brought up, you know, home as well. So the work that we do, that the two of us do, isn't just what we're supposed to be doing in school. Our young people are doing at school. It's what, you know, collectively, we all need to be doing, whether that's at school, it's at home, it's at play, it's at work, it's at like what are we had opened with this intergenerational approach. And so, things that we do and things that can easily be done is like, let's start with some tech policies, right? Like, we, when we work with school communities, that's the first place we start. We do this audit and let's look, look at the language that's being used. Let's see like the last time that that policy might have been updated. Whose voices are included or not included? That's just as important, the voices that are not included. Are there different policies for different schools? Is there one general one for the the entire school community? And how can we create these learning opportunities where we invite the entire, the outside community to come and learn with students? And I mean, that that pertains to that use tech for good, that pertains to that five and five for mental health. We will be better. We are stronger together when we are side by side. So it is as simple as just having that willingness and disposition to say, I might not know about this. This might be scary. I have, these are unknowns, but I am willing to carve out time and space to learn alongside you so that we collectively can make a positive impact in local, global and digital communities. And that's how I, those would be my last two cents.
0: Thanks so much. Thank you to everybody for joining this conversation. All of our panelists and our listeners, thank you so much to Beluga and same here Global for presenting these sessions. So thanks again to everybody. Thanks to Beluga and thanks for being here.